All right, let's dance. Let's go. Let's move it. Let's shake it. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everyone. It's Alan and Brent. And we're here for episode 161 of the AB Testing Podcast. As you can tell, my voice is a little off today. Ah, COVID! Ah, COVID! Oh. You know, I, that's that's what I thought. So I got back from Copenhagen and I had a little cough. And I go, well, it's my turn, I guess. Got a P- So I had symptoms already. So I had a symptom, I had a cough, and I went and got a PCR test right away. It came back negative. I took a couple antigen tests since then, including one just like an hour ago. Looking down, it's still negative. So I think I may actually just have a cold. I have no other symptoms out of cough. Yesterday and the day before, my voice was really bad. And this is kind of on the mend. So I don't know. So maybe I doing- maybe I have COVID and none of the tests will will work on me. And the tests give an amazing number, as you know, if, you know, anecdotally from I'm sure as I do, that a lot of times they're negative even when someone has COVID. So but I'm thinking not. I think because for lots of reasons. But anyway. You, you have important insights to share. No, I was just going to say, so so what happened to the team in Copenhagen? Were you were you yelling at them the entire trip? No, no, the, the opposite, the opposite. There was too many fun conversations and hugging. What happened? What I think happens is this. I have been in this office, which Brent can see, nobody else can see, pretty much nonstop for the last two years with very few human interactions, I think I lost any immunity that I had to anything else in the world. I think anytime I venture outside my house and with people, I'm probably going to catch something for a while. Oh, so you're like the aliens in, what was it, War of the Worlds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Something like that. I think there's something like that going on. So That, that you no longer have, have immunity against common human diseases? Well, I think I'll build it back up. I am planning to travel. I'm going to get back to a, uh, I don't know what to call it, a regular but infrequent travel. I'm going to head down to San Francisco for a day. Remember I used to do day trips to San Francisco back in the before times? I'm going to do another one coming up here. Yes. Eh, obviously not till my voice is better, but maybe July sometime. Be a good, good time frame. And then... Heading to Montreal in September for a week. Need to visit the team out there. And then probably head back to Copenhagen, maybe in October or no, probably probably November. And I'll split it. I'll spend three days in Copenhagen, uh, leaving on the third day. And then so two and a half days in Copenhagen and then two full days in, in Helsinki. Because I haven't visited that team in a while either. And then... Gosh, I got to visit Brighton too. So I'm pretty well spread out, but the biggest pockets of people on my team are Copenhagen, Helsinki, and Brighton. But I have a lot of my leader. I have a couple of leaders in San Francisco, probably my top managers down there. I want to go visit them, see some of the team there. A lot of the partners I work with are there. So yeah, I just got to get out and see people. It's not surprising, but also surprising how effective it is to see people face to face once in a while. There's stuff you get done in a in a conversation in a room full of people that would take a half a dozen or, or 10 Zoom meetings to get through. I don't know why. The other thing is, you, you were going to comment on that. I'll go on to the other there's, thing in a second. There's absolute, you, you, you had a comment there. Right? It's interesting. As, 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 as you know, I've been coming into work for pretty much all but one month of the whole COVID start. And certain things are changing that are annoying. I actually have an old school commute now when I go back home, like 405 is, is trash. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I didn't, didn't miss this. And every now and again, right. I, I've gotten to a custom, like I'm not going to mess with the camera, it, but I have a parking spot. It's been my parking spot for two years, and now Dude, like people are taking you it. had like, you had all no, that it's time mine. with nobody around, probably even light security at Microsoft. You could have put an A/B testing logo in that spot along with Brent only. 
I, I still could. That's what you should have done. <laughs> I still can. But but let me. But it's different. Like there's a difference. Like like some people need to leave work and be in, like you need to be in an office away from home to be productive. That's different. It's the it's the seeing people right. part. And there's two things with that. One is just having a proper debate and conversation in a large group is just more effective in person in my experience. But the other thing is that was really fun about the trip was in Zoom or in your case, Teams, all you ever talk about on that 30-minute, 60-minute video call is work. We ne- we just don't have enough of those non-work conversations, which are so important to get to know people, and they're more recharging than than work over Zoom. Yeah, there's, there is that. There is that that slow relationship building that you just can't, I can't do over, over a conf call. Exactly. It's exactly. I had, I I guess it's now about three weeks ago. I had, I was in my office and I had someone knock on my door and I'm like, Whoa, what, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Like, and, and she's like, hi, Brent, I am random PM. And I was told that you might be able to answer. I'm like, oh, wow. This is like, I I remember this when people would randomly stop by and interrupt you in your office. I'm like, I'm doing that right now. Wow. Right. It was weird. Now, on the other side, though, there are certain people that I realized I missed working with individually like standing up at yes. a whiteboard and, yes and brainstorming brainstorming together. shit that was fun yeah yeah that 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 sort of creative energy which is really hard to do over over the cuff call that for me we've talked about this before my number one strength is ideation i'm all about brainstorming invite me to any freaking brainstorm event you want i'm in because it's massively energizing, but it's just, it's flat over. Agreed. Over agreed. At least I haven't, I, I haven't, you know, there's out a, a whiteboard to, in Zoom. I'm sure there's the same in teams. We haven't figured out how to use it well yet. Now, and really to do those, like, right. You kind of need a tablet and a pen device is, is yeah, my view. With, a, with, with that tablet like not, being connected to a shared whiteboard. We have uh, one of our conference rooms in Copenhagen, by the way, has that. It has a, um, a touch screen that you can draw on and it shows up in the whiteboard for Zoom, which, which kind of works, but it worked better if everybody had one and not just all the people in the conference room. It was also the first time I had a lot of meetings where like it's different when everybody's on Zoom. What's a little weird, I think on both ends is when you have 10 people in one room on Zoom and then 10 other people all on Zoom, like like individually. There's a weird meeting dynamic when everyone's in this hybrid world where everyone's it's not remote. I've experienced that same thing as well. And as much, one of the benefits of this conference call world is it was a great equalizer. The remote people didn't feel left out. And it, and it was because hallway chatter, you can't really call into hallway chatter. Of course, the problem is it's a great equalizer because it's it's focused on the least common denominator, which is not something I've ever really been aboard on. You don't, you don't equalize everyone by bringing the highest people down. Yeah, yeah. You bring the lower people up. It's weird. We're never going to get, and I'm okay with this. We're never going to get to a world where 90% of all of us are back in the office again. Just, just not going to happen. Um, but I think we need to get better at figuring out what this hybrid world looks like. Like I'm going to the office two days a week now. So I'm doing some of my one-on-ones in person. I actually have two direct reports in Bellevue now. Weird, right? No, I, th- I thought you've always had. No, uh, I didn't. For a while, I didn't even have any team members in Bellevue. Oh. Now I have two direct reports. We hired a director of docs, and my uh, internationalization lead is in Bellevue. That was the consequence of your last re- uh, last move, right? Uh, it's too hard to keep track. It's it's kind of like a, a never ending carousel of shifting. Gotcha. Anyway, um, that 
you know, some insights there. Good to be back. Sorry about my voice. I think they're wondering who is on the podcast with Brent this week. Who is this guy? He sounds pretty smart. Maybe he should replace Alan. Speaking of. I don't know about smart, but you got the voice growl there. You definitely sound sexy. Well, there's a it's a fine line between sexy and smart. I think that's a lot of a lot of famous philosophers have said that. Uh, okay. Well, then there's hope for me yet. Hey, um, <laughs> I keep on digging on Microsoft. I'm going to do it really quick here for a second. But then also right. I want to talk about like then you do some things that I like, which freaks me out. So I want to one quick dig is I had to spend some time with the Windows machine this week for the first time in a long time. And I am so glad we're on two tracks because Brent is like slurping coffee. Anyway, so I had to spend some time on a Windows machine. I had to troubleshoot my daughter's machine. Brand new machine. Came with Windows 11 installed. Could not connect to the internet. Okay. Wi-Fi card is working. It's connected to my internal network. It can't connect to the internet. Doesn't have an IP address. Did not get an IP address from my router. Well, maybe my router's screwed up. I'll make a hotspot on my phone. Nope. Can't get one from there either. I download drivers, do a USB stick for my Mac, and move them over. I install those. I go through a bunch of unbinding, rebinding things, uh, random solutions on the internet. People have asked, had this similar problem on several different computers, and they've all tried these different things, which is bad enough. And the the error messages from Windows are, I hope you realize this, are, I know you don't work on Windows, are pretty horrible. I Wait, forgot you, how horrible they were. You don't like... 0XE894C008. I actually, and then, oh gosh, my wife's computer is blue screening, but they've now hidden. I used to be able to kind of half debug from the blue screen what was going on and know what to go look at. Now it's all hidden from you because that's more user friendly. God, it's like in trying to make things friendly, they screwed it all up. Anyway, network's not working. I have looked at everything to try and make this work. The internet is no help. It's just broken. So, I go in old school. Uh, I get to the 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 network properties dialog, which uh, coincidentally is unchanged pretty much from when I used to test that in Windows ninety five. But anyway, I go through there and I go. I'm just looking for something. I don't know what it was. Something. Yeah, Maybe, a red a red bang someplace anywhere. There were no red bangs. Everything was working correctly. It connected to my router. Wouldn't get an IP address. So. A little voice in my head, just something telling me it's probably going to be the dumbest thing ever. It's Microsoft. It's got to be something stupid. So I disabled IPv6. I unbound IPv6 from the network card. Boom on the network in a second. No explanation. I'm sure, I mean, by the time she needs a daughter's computer, by the time she needs IPv6, I'm sure there'll be some patch for it that makes it work. But that kind of shit infuriates me. So Windows is a steaming pile of crap. However... When you tell me Satya is doing good stuff and I go, yeah, yeah, whatever, you're actually right. Like I see all kinds of great stuff coming from and the latest is, and I want to talk about this a little bit. I think this is really important. I think every company should do this is going to post salary ranges with jobs. And there's a couple of things I want to, as we've helped people adapt to modern testing, I think I have a few tips on how to help people, help people adapt to salary ranges offered with jobs. Because there are a few traps there. Did you know about this? Was this announced internally? Did you see the news on this? Yeah, no, I know about this. Okay. I think it's pretty cool. Um, a lot of fairness comes out of this. Uh, what do you think, I, before I start with them, what do you think some of the traps are with that? I will say I support it, but mostly from a principle standpoint. Transparency and data versus invisibility and subjectivity uh, i'm always going to pick transparency and data i don't know why they're doing this move what problem it solves um and i guess time will will bear it out like, I, I think i think it, it solves the problem of fairness that a lot of people are worried about i think people feel often like they're lowballed for a job which I working, you know, I may happen. I don't know, uh, but it gives you a range. Now I think it's good. I think all companies should do it, but there are some traps in a job search. So what happens if, okay, I've posted a job level N. We'll just make up a number level N 
and the salary range is between 135 and 185. You love the job description, Brent. You think this is the job right. I want, but you'd expect to get paid more. Do you just now what do you do now? It's like the difference is you may not apply if that salary range is too low for you. I think that's fair to do, right? Right. On the other hand, think back to the days when maybe you looked at, I think, I don't know if you ever looked at the internal job site at Microsoft. I think people just came and got you and, 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 and recruited you. But I've done both. Often you'd, you'd look at a level higher than you were because something you could stretch into. Um, right. I, I think the thing to keep in mind in that range, 135, 185, Maybe I would just, again, transparency, I would be up front. Just, I would just contact the company say, I love this role. I really want to do it. I think I can do more than here and my salary requirements are higher. And maybe they'd up-level the job. Like today, often we'll, in the background, someone comes in and they're awesome. They've interviewed for a job. We haven't shared the salary range, but we up-level the job in the background in order to give them a fair offer. Correct. Yeah. I mean, is that, the, so, and the same thing can, ha- and here's where it gets weird because the same thing could happen the other way. Say you, a lot of people apply for jobs they're not, they're not uh, qualified for. Right. But I hire humble, hungry, and smart. If you have the right attitude, you have a desire to learn, and I can tell you make good decisions, and I know you're going to learn quickly on the job. I want to be able to, I guess it just becomes a matter of transparency. I say, look, I, can't bring you in at level N. I really want to hire you at level N minus one. And here's why. And here's the things you need to do. And your, and your salary may not fit in that range. Um, I guess it just forces me to be transparent in that range too. But I guess the point I want to make is in publishing those salary ranges, I think people both below and above that salary range should apply anyway and just be transparent about what they want. I don't think when a company posts a salary range with a job, like when we post a job, when, same as Microsoft, you post a level, a job at a level, you have a certain expectation of what you want out of that role. You, but but you, you may hire someone who's a little less than that or a little more than that because they're the right fit for the team too. Right. The The one thing about salary ranges that I do think will help in the fullness of time is essentially to sort of level set expectations. Each of the big companies in in Fang, I guess it's now Mang. The M, the M is for Meta, not right. Microsoft. They don't get to be Fang. No, actually, so so he he updated it. Microsoft is now in the list. I, I think they're calling it Mama now. Oh um, my god! Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and and Netflix got dropped. The um, anyway, my point is, you go and you find out. Oh, Google's Google's got a perfect role for me that's an L7. And I'm like, okay, well, what the hell's an L7? Right? It is so for me in my roles uh, where where I might look into, I want to know is this an executive position or not, as an example. Right? And in unlike you, uh, I I will like the big money, but I don't want the executive position. Now, it might depend on the, the company, right? It, it's one of the things I love about my job right now. I have broad scope, but I get to sit in the type of role that, that I love, which is the ground level manager. And so that kind of gives me a sense of, okay, what would be the role expectations above and beyond what they're communicating here, right? If it's an executive, okay, you're going to be spending your whole day in meetings and, and, um, this is where Levels FYI can help. What is that? Levels.FYI, website where you can compare levels between companies. Oh, fantastic. That'll help you figure it out. Yeah, I I honestly don't think I will ever. I think when I leave this company, well, <coughs> things could change. Um, I'm in the best job I've ever had. I don't I don't see any reason to to move. Yeah, if, if you enjoy your work and your manager is not an asshole, um, I would keep doing it. You know, I, oh, I, I can tease, I can, you know, complain about Windows, but that's it. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. If you feel like your work matters and you enjoy it and you're, you're given the freedom to do it in a way that makes sense and you balance that with accountability, of course, uh, and you have the skills you need, 
just keep rolling. That's the gravy train. Right. No, it, it it's chock full of happy sauce, right? Now, there's a couple other things that Microsoft is doing, and I'm wondering, uh, wondering if you, so there's another one. So, like, uh, the equity angle on terms of posting uh, salaries, that's an interesting angle I hadn't thought about before. I think there's probably going to be pros, pros and cons. I think right? people end up doing a lot of comparing between companies and which is going to be bad at first, maybe good in the long run because God, you know, this could go all the way from chaos to companies calibrating their, their, you know, in a, you know, indirectly calibrating their job descriptions together. Well, I think that for sure is going to happen. Like I have no idea what, what this will do in terms of our competitors. Right. Uh, as you know, um, companies, in Fang slash Mama, uh, they're constantly stealing employees from each other, right? So I don't know if that's going to make that easier, harder. What that's going to do, right? From a from a negotiation standpoint, well, it'll change something, but change doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. Now, Microsoft getting rid of the non disclosure agreement. I'd love to see more details on that one. In general, what I understand of it is positive. And you don't have to answer this, but my take from the outside after me leaving and going through it is, I think it's just too hard to enforce. Why bother? No, so I don't know that they're going to do... So that's the thing. I'm like, okay, is this all up? Because um, there's certain clauses in your, in your, in your NDA. I think that they're striking Right. It's as, for example, if, if you report to, so you had this, right. You couldn't, you couldn't bad mouth your old team for a year because that was part of your NDA. Yeah, I did anyway. What the hell? See, again, they don't enforce it. Whereas technical IP, even though they don't enforce it, uh, it's still probably wiser to keep that NDA there because once it's discovered, if it is important, then they still have action they can take. The other move that's happening is a move I don't like. So Microsoft is going through, re, uh, I don't know how long, how long it's been since you've been on campus. Long time. But the, the big soccer field uh, next to building 16. Yes. And so that's gone. I used to play soccer there. Like in the old days, I would play soccer there twice a week at noon. Yeah, it's a big parking garage now. Oh. And buildings with, with the soccer bu- field on top. No. That. Building buildings one through four gone. With an indoor soccer rink uh, rink. Soccer uh, in the bottom floor. Again, no. Um and buildings one through four gone. Yeah, so if I, I they, they were I think they were like getting ready to tear them down when I was leaving. They've turned them down, they built them back up. And they put probably, in probably taller than two stories now, way taller. I think they're, I, I'm not in any place where I could see them, but it, it, I believe five to six floors. All right. So um, you don't like this change? Where, where is this going? No. So they're putting in, they redesigned them to all be open space, which uh, again, I think we talked about this before in the computer science industry, there's multiple studies that show that that is anti-productive, not productive. But they're now moving it as a response to COVID. They're now moving it one level further. And that is you don't even have a desk anymore. So when you come in, uh, you you reserve a desk and that's your desk for that day. Yeah, that's what I do. It'll work over time. I just I just want to see studies like I like that makes the company so freaking sterile like i don't even have a place to to put a picture of my family anymore there's no personalization whatsoever put it on your phone like the rest of us i I do you could turn your phone into a little picture frame little digital pf all right i guess you're not a board on uh, well humans are hugely adaptable and will adapt to that but doesn't mean what I want to see is these decisions as they align to key business 
criteria above and beyond the short-sighted view of, hey, we need to hire another 10,000 people. Where do we put them? And, and right now, I look around it, it, in my building, as I just talked about, like Microsoft, Microsoft's been open for business since the the end of March. Well, this goes back to what I was saying before. We're never going to go back to, I don't think we're ever going to go back to, you know, 90 plus percent of the people going in five days a week. I think uh, Unity have stopped a lot of their office expansion, even like the number of people associated with an office in many cases far exceeds the capacity of that office. But well, I guess it's a problem we can solve when we get there. But for today, there's today there's plenty of room. Yeah, the thing I see, this thing I see as a beginning trend, and I don't know if Unity is seeing this. I see a beginning trend of of I'll just call it remoteism as a as a requirement for the job. I think that's one thing people learned from COVID is, hey, I can still get my job done no matter where I am. Yes and no. And here's, and I want to move on to another topic here, but I want to, there is something I've noticed here. One is people can do their job from home, but also there's value, as I talked earlier, in that human interaction. And what I worry about is there are people that need to see people. They need, they need to be in an office once in a while who don't know they need to be in an office once in a while. I will tell you in terms of, so you and I have worked together for a while, right? The, uh, you know about Golazo, for example. And one of the key things around, around Golazo is that it helps to build a stronger team. Okay. And I will say COVID has kind of shattered that, right? It, it's, it's harder for the team to become a team and be a team in that, because you, you need, the members of your team to create multiple different connections with the other members of the team. I can force it in some regards. I can set the stage and say, Hey, Alan, this week you're going to pair program with Bob and next week you're going to pair, pair program with Susan and et cetera. But that, that whole knowledge, that, that organic knowledge sharing is the consequence. Now, in some regards, remote work is basically saying, hey, I'm going to be a siloist and I'm going to stay that way. Or at least that would be my fear of it. And if that happens, I'm, I'm, I'll just be fundamentally against it. All right. Well, yeah, I, I think as in all things, the answer is it depends and it's a balance. I want to move on because there are a couple of the topics here today. And right. one is, so we talked last time about Ken Johnston one of the authors of How We Test Software at Microsoft going to uh, Ford. And he's all over posting on LinkedIn, which is, has nothing to do with LinkedIn has become nothing what it was designed to be, but whatever. But he's posting pictures of his electric Ford truck he's been driving around. He's very excited. And then he is working. Uh, a weird thing is one of my old, old managers. And last time I worked for this manager, I was working on Windows CE. Um, on the test team, on the dedicated siloed SDET team. And uh, he did a couple other things at Microsoft after that and then retired. I think he was in retirement and apparently in a cryogenic tube for about 15, maybe 20 years uh, based on the mail he sent. He said... I'm going to read the, I know, I know he won't listen to the podcast and I think it says educational. I'll, I'll give you the whole email conversation. I want to talk about this thing. It's interesting. He says, I got pulled into this madhouse and have not had this much fun pissing people off in a long time. Point number one is why, why are we, why are we pissing people off? Why, why don't we work together? Then it gets better. He says, startingly, there is pretty much no software dev test knowledge here, nor any consistent automation. Trying to bring in the concept of an estet who makes devs cry, and I thought, oh man, I, I feel I feel so 1999 right now. It's not worse. And uh, he's you know trying to recruit me to come be an estet on his team. It's like and he says, maybe you write how we test software at Ford, and uh, still no. And finally, I replied, wait, 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 Ford, yeah. So he's he's, he's at, at the, Ford with Ken Johnston. 
two of my previous managers are now at Ford, which it I have is, absolutely no interest in. Are these somehow related to each other? No. Oh my God. Anyway, I wrote back as you, and I brought up, I said, my views on testing have changed with the industry. Research shows, for example, that automated tests owned by developers have a high correlation with quality, whereas automation owned by a separate team has no correlation with quality. So I focus a lot on helping developers test better and on giving them better development and analysis tools so they can move faster with higher quality. I imagine the process would vary in the automotive industry, but, and there may even be regulations, blah, blah, blah. I'm happy in the world where shipping a few dozen times a day is the norm, where the only bugs that reach production are bugs that can't feasibly cop before release. The slow shipping world is something I'm happy to leave behind. So I'll see what his response is to that. <laughs> so uh, it, we talked last time. I want to move on from this before too long, but it, this is goes into what we talked about in the last podcast. There's this, you know, there's different bubbles of where people live. And our next topic is going to talk about that some more. But this idea of, and that's one thing I want to hit on, is this idea of an adversarial connection between different parts of the team. It's so funny because, you know, we lived that world a long, long time ago, but it seems so foreign and wrong to me. Like, yeah. No. It's weird how, the, how it, like, I, I used to be that person. But now it's like, we need to collaborate, work together. The more connected we are, the better we're going to do. And it's like, it's weird what, you know, a decade and a half will do to you. Yeah. It, you you try things out, you learn. Right. And to me, I just, I just think of that and I go, wow, how did they isolate? Because I, I don't think we're in the bubble anymore. As, as we've talked about before, drink. I, I I'm drinking tea. I think it's not helping. It's not taking the edge off. I think the perspective that we, we have is far more mainstream and, and that the, the traditionalist point of view is, is now, what do they call it? The laggers, right? It's certainly, it's going to be still there. Like, as I bring up as an example all the time, you can still go and find jobs doing COBOL programming. Absolutely. Right. And, and I can tell from the email that comes to my inbox every day that I can still go get a job as an SDET because um, I get enough job offer. Well, if I can pass the interview, but you know. Yeah, I don't understand why that's the case. Like your LinkedIn, like why would anyone find you on LinkedIn and offer you an SDET job? Because I've been an SDET in the past. I need to remove SDET from everything in my profile. Yeah, but it says VP of engineering on the bloody thing. Why yeah. would... Oh, hey, Brent, here's a newsflash. Newsflash. Are you ready for... Is it down? Yeah. Some, some people are dumb. I am aware of this, sadly. Um, Statistically, half of the people have a lower than average IQ. <laughs> or low, at least lower than median <laughs> IQ. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you don't have that quite right, but yeah. I, I fixed it. I fixed it because I adapt. So yes. uh, I want to, you know, that's one bubble and I'm, I'm, if anybody from unity is listening, I have negative interest, zero to negative interest in joining Ford. Cause um, unless you all want to get rid of me, you can let me know. When I also go to Copenhagen, it's awkward because I bet nobody on your team listens to the podcast. I have people in my organization that listen to the podcast. Hi everyone. And it's a little awkward for me because I, I'm just so Anyway, whatever. I'm I'm glad you find me interesting. This is how people find out what I'm up to, how they get to know me better without spending time with me. My 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 team do not listen to the podcast, or at least they don't. You should it. require it. Anyway, uh, our our buddy Con Fitzgerald, who was in an ABT three four three a while back, but I used to do those. In fact, if you want to be on, if you want to like spend thirty minutes with me on a podcast, ping me Alan Page on Twitter, and we can set up some time. I'll do a little interview show with you when my voice is better, but uh, Connor's presenting at Romanian testing days. And I think who he is, I've actually, I've, again, this is again, the bubble, but this is somebody who I, I've worked with and respect, but still is not quite in line with all of the principles. And that's okay. We all, when people want to debate the principles, we say, welcome to the conversation and it's okay. We want to be challenged. We want it to you know make it real for you, but, 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 but 
Let me Connor finish. is in line. Connor is oh very much in line. But there was <laughs> okay. a reply. Someone took a picture of talking about the yes, little A-B testing logo principles. He says, modern testing principles being mentioned by Connor. I still do not agree with Alan Page on principle seven. They never f***ing mention you. It's always me. Good and bad. It's always me. Anyway, I still do well, not agree with Alan Page on principle seven. Not everybody can test. Which is, not right, exact, which is not exactly what Principle 7 says. Everybody number, can click around. Wait, wait, this. Wait, no. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me not finish. Go on, Brent. Okay, thank you. Number one, you look at the picture, and oh, this, is, this, is, this is your short form of the principle. You know what? I stand corrected. Yeah, it's, not, it's not mine. Now, I, I still agree everyone can test. Like... But my version of principle seven was fundamentally different. I kind of like yours better, but mine was uh, something along the lines of execute fearlessly, right? It, it's like that's, that's this too is, far abstract from the original. It's the but no, no. If you think about principle seven, it's we basically need to do this even because it's the right thing to do, even though it may have these consequences. Yeah, and for those that haven't read the principles, they're on moderntesting.org, but principle seven basically is the one that says, you may get so good at producing quality software, you may not need dedicated testers anymore. And by everybody, here's where it's the, the, the semantics can get lost. I don't mean everybody in the world. Everybody on the software team, yes. I have taught so many developers to be good testers that is far beyond an exception for a developer to be a good tester. They're, not all developers are great testers. Some are okay. But many developers I've worked with have become better testers than most testers I know. Yeah, in principle, actually, you know what? Your short form, I, it's not... I get it. I get it. It's not... It's. It's. I see what he did there, and it's stolen from me. It's not exactly fair, and it, and it does... I see where, I see where it triggered, but also... Out of context, from someone who's context-driven, a little bit weird, but it's okay. Weeb, I love you. But it the principle does not diminish the testing craft, which is his final sentence there. And no, even it, as written, it does not diminish the testing craft. No, and, and I was thinking about that earlier today. Number one, principle seven says we expand the testing abilities and know-how across the team. Okay, so seven you call it everyone can test a better one. It's too long, but it might be everyone can learn to test or something like that. Right. It, it's, but I, that, that softens it to regard. And I don't yeah. want to brainstorm. It I, right I now. think this is one where I'm okay. Having everybody can test on the slide. Everyone can test on the slide, but you have to add some context in the talk. And I wasn't at Connor's talk in order to have a recording. So I can't tell if he said that, but as written, it's like, I could see why it would trigger, but but again, contextually, we're saying that it should be the goal of your team to get a whole team to get better at testing. I do and not. I, I don't care how good of a tester you are. I don't care if you are, you know, the embodiment of the craft of software testing, and you're like the you're like you're Neo plugged into the matrix on software testing. You know everything. If you're the only tester on that team, you are a bottleneck. So this is the thing. It's like it d diminishes. Or if you're the only person doing testing, you're a bottleneck. I'm 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 entering into Rantville, right? This principle diminishes the testing craft. No, it does not. This this principle increases the testing craft. It is basically saying, it, like they're interpreting it as oh, testing something anyone can do. That is literally what is written there. Right. But the way you're saying it is testing is not on this high ivory tower. Testing is something anyone can do. Correct. So it, it's not it's not diminishing it. In my view, it is strengthening it. Yes. Now, more, more ideas to the party. It's strengthening. You're absolutely right. What diminishes the testing craft is the testers that hold on to traditionalist approaches with white knuckles. That's what diminishes it. They, they sitting in, in their stupid codependency safety net loops 
sitting there patting themselves on the back, not realizing that at lunch, the devs sit and talk and go, I can't believe I got this guy to do this fucking work for me. Right. It, it's like the, as I've mentioned before, my humble opinion is that in the old traditionalist view of testing, our number one value proposition was to be the scapegoat for the org. Absolutely. Oh, I can tell you by the times like a bug was found after a release and, and the, and this actual same test manager I'm talking about and I <laughs> sat in a room and got yelled at by the dev manager. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've told you a story before where, um, uh, where I had a dev lead come to me and this was in the middle of our trend. This was in the middle of Microsoft transition. I had, I had joined a team after the transition and I was set up to partner with them to do some work. I wasn't a, a dev, but I wasn't a, a test in this role. And they came to me and said, Hey, why wasn't this bug found before? And I looked at her and I said, oh, I, I don't know. Um, if, if, if you really don't know, then you know, let's pull up your unit test suite and let's figure it out. It, it basically, I very... little little passive aggressive. Uh, I, I very passive aggressive go, like, why are you coming and yelling at me about what's something that is clearly your problem? Everything we've talked about here on... I, I totally agree with and actually Connor agrees with it as well. I want to just talk a little bit about um I again I haven't seen his talk yet, uh, but he was interviewed about it a little bit for InfoQ. And I want to share a little bit of that article because I think it's a really good not addendum, a really good grasp of extension, enhancement of modern testing. He talks about uh the three S's and the three C's, and he wants testers to move toward the three C's and away from the three S's and the three S's. So these are the things testers are moving away from. We've already talked about first one's a safety net. Stop being the safety net. The next one is solo, that solo knowledge, that, that single point of failure. The, again, Neo, I know everything about testing. I know the product. Only I can make this work. Moving away from that towards collaboration and then being static. This is holding on with white knuckles. Be adaptable. Embrace change this is what we talked about in the very first couple A-B testing podcasts. Now, we've actually talked about all three of these in this episode. We have. We have. Because they're all here. So anyway, these are, this is, but it sums up everything we've talked about. So yeah. these things move away from those testers. Move on. Stop being a safety net. Stop being a single point of failure. Adapt and change. Stop holding on. And the three C's, we've also talked about coaching. I have coached developers, hundreds now, maybe thousands, to, to do better testing. Principle seven. Collaborating, working together, not making devs cry, working with them. We're on the same team. We're trying to make quality software together. Principle four. <laughs> and change, which is principle three. Uh, yeah, principle three. Um, and he says, uh, Connor says that testers are often the training wheels for the team, which I like. We need to thinking about how can we remove the training wheels? This is really a principle sevens about how do we get the training wheels off the team so we can be fully independent in producing quality software. And there's some other really great terms in there. He brings up accelerate, which is always a way to get to my heart, but really yes. fantastic insights. I mean, this is somebody who gets it and gets what it means. I mean, some people probably look at the principles and they go, Oh yeah. Okay. And some people look at them and go, Oh, I hate all of these. These are dumb. They're not. In fact, someone on uh, LinkedIn said, Hey, I read these and they're not very modern and they're not about testing either. And I know they say that, but still it's like, um, what conversation are we having? Anyway, uh, Connor just, just nailed it. He nailed the essence of, of why we think about this stuff. And the principles just came. It isn't like we decided, Hey, we're going to write some principles and figure out what they mean. We just tried to capture. So the principles, God, when did we first start talking about those in the seventies, eighties? I mean, episode numbers. Do you remember? Uh, Maybe it was earlier. Could have been we 50s. started going, I think 87 was our deep dive. Oh my gosh. So it's a summary of like everything we had been talking about. Like what are, how can we, 
take everything we've been talking about and sum it up into some things that are communicable, communicatable. And that's where they came from. All models are wrong. Some are useful. These are helpful. Uh, and I think just I like think with anything you disagree with, look at both sides. Anyway, go ahead, Brent. No, and, and Connor, even in the, the thread, right? One of the things we talk about here, Connor really has simultaneously represents our content very well. And he's actually morphed it into his own version that is, is fantastic, right? It, he's in that same Twitter feed, he hashtag healthy discussion, right? That's, that's the whole point yeah. of this is to encourage a collaboration, even as, even on the, the principles, right? I was thinking about, right. Uh, that same person that you just said, when we say it's not about modern, it's not about testing, right? Why did we give this name? Well, the original reason is because it was a particular set of people we wanted to target. And that was one of the thoughts I had on, on the problem nowadays. When this came out, we were, we were facing a community of testers that, for whatever reason, saw change was on the wind, right? And Microsoft had gone through it. Part of this was to attract the attention of, of testers and get people to understand, no, there is... This is not a negative. This is absolutely a positive. Like, don't fight this change. You know, swim with the current. Um, but it does occur to me, people coming into the test industry now who may not have a view, like the drama around these changes around testing, that's dramatically gone down. Like the last news report I heard was, like Salesforce dropping all of their testers. And that was like five years ago. Yeah. And also right. worth, worth mentioning, and we should really post these somewhere. Maybe I'll put them on moderntesting.org, but That'd many episodes place. ago, we, yeah, shut up. <laughs> we, um, I remember, do you remember when we kind of rewrote and I wrote them down once? I think I posted them in our Slack. Yeah. Group. Um, the dev, the, the modern testing principles that don't include, I mean, it's about the team, not about testing. I don't know if they're modern testing principles 2.0 or some other principles, but we did think, I mean, most of them stayed the same, but we did things like change principle seven to we expand abilities and know-how across the team, understanding this may reduce or, or eliminate the need for dedicated specialists, which is true for anything. Like you're going to hire, like I'll give you an example from, from my org. Often teams ask me across unity, Hey, we need to hire a DevOps engineers for, for our team. Can you help me with the job rec? I go, hold on. Why are you hiring a specialist for your team? I said, well, we need to know how to deploy this stuff and blah, blah, blah. I said, we have a you build it, you run it culture. My team gives you a good paved road to make that easy and they'll give you everything you need to get it up and running. But in the long run, if you have a specialist, you're going to be in trouble. I said, like, what? what if they go on vacation and you rely on them for everything? Oh, well, we'll hire two. Okay, let's let, let, we're, we're going to need to sit down. This is now going. Yeah, but you don't, you don't appear to be learning from the speech. Replace tester with DevOps. They go. It, it's and it's the exact same thing. Years ago, as this is behind me for now, Dev said, "Well, I don't know anything about testing. I can't figure it out." Now they're telling me, "I don't know anything about Kubernetes." I said, "It's okay. We're going to teach you. It's not that hard." Yeah. And I fully believe, like, like we can't scale and give everybody their own little, and imagine the chaos that would happen if I, we had 200 embedded DevOps engineers around the company, air quote, because DevOps is a culture, not a role, you know, infrastructure people uh, implementing various flavors and different things and in different ways with no consistency across, it would be an absolute mess. But specialists, you could hire a, a database specialist a perf, or perf specialist, Sometimes you want to do that, but you want a generalizing specialist so that they're not a bottleneck for the team. And so they don't, when they work themselves out of a job, which all of us should be doing, you know, frequently, they have other things they can do. I, I think specialists are fantastic for sort of outside in consulting. 
uh, unless you have a large enough company, it doesn't make sense to to have it in your organization. Uh, I've had similar uh, similar issues. Like I had a I had a PM uh, come to me about a year ago, and he he checks in every three months to see if I've changed my mind. He's like, Brett, I am going to get you eight heads. I'm like, okay, neat. Right, that would tremendously grow my team and tremendously grow the the type of scenarios and the impact my team could have. Why? And it's like, oh, well, so we have all of this data stuff, and we want you to use these eight heads to build us a data warehouse and a bunch of Power BI dashboards and and data movers. Why? Why? Uh, because it's too hard for PM to do. And I said, I see. Um, <laughs> thank you for your offer. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kindly reject it. And they're like, like, like they, they were surprised. They really <sighs> thought like, oh, I could get you eight heads like that, dude. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not building. There's no career for full-time Power BI builders in my role. Right. I'm just like, no, like hire a vendor team, manage it, tell them to do your stuff. Right. Like, like it's just that simple now. And I said, however, if you want to solve your, your actual problem, right. Instead of building a data, data safety net, then I'm open to talk. And he of course has clarity. And I said, your actual problem is, the PM role is changing and you just told me your P your PM organization doesn't have the basic skills to thrive in a new world. Every PM should be able to build their own power BI report to, to judge the success of their features. Power BI is not that hard. And if your PMs don't understand the data, then I'm going to, I'm going to tell you they're producing incomplete features. Yep. Specialization bad. Yep. All right, man. I got to go rest my voice. I've had about all I can take for the day. All right. Team I mean, oh, maybe in post production, I can, like, there's a, like some fancy filter I can use to fix my voice. Ooh, auto tune. Awesome. Um, yeah, no. <clears throat> go, please go, go. Uh, I swear by this gargle with, with salt water and then. And then find some nice honey to soak your throat in. And there I mean the stuff made by bees, but you could choose any version of honey that you would desire. All right. I think mine comes in a bot. My honey, I think it's in a body that says Quervo. Okay. Yep. That may, that may um, work. I'll, I'll, I'll try some of that. If you, if you do enough of that, yes, I can guarantee you the pain will go away. And there's no pain. There's, there's absolutely zero pain. Oh. I feel 100% fine. I just lost my voice with a little bit of a cough. Gotcha. All right, man. That is it for this time. We'll see you next time on the next episode of BA, AB, testing BA, AB testing. Yes. Bye. Bye, all. <laughs>